Hello and welcome to Queen V, the life of Queen Victoria. My name is Donnie Hazel and I am your host. If you wish to support this podcast, there will be a link provided for you in the show details and it will be very much appreciated as it goes to help support the cost of maintaining the podcast and our website. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Queen V, the life of of Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria's Nine Children The Sons Queen Victoria had a large brood of nine children. She had incredibly high expectations for her four sons and held them up in comparison with their saintly father, Prince Albert. He was a more gentle and loving parent who doted on his offspring. He was the heart of this close-knit family, an innovation from previous royal children who lived separately from and rarely saw their parents. Victoria and Albert's children were sheltered from court life and raised at Osborne House on the Isle of Wight. There, Albert built them a Swiss cottage where they learned practical skills like cooking and carpentry, along with a robust education in history, politics, literature, and languages typical for princes. The eldest son was destined to inherit the throne of the British Empire at the height of its power, though he had to wait a long time to obtain it from his aging mother. While waiting in the wings, the three younger sons all lived active lives. Two joined the military and traveled the world, while the youngest was held back by the royal disease, hemophilia. Here are the stories of Queen Victoria's four intriguing sons. Edward, Victoria's second child and heir, was named Albert after his father and the more British-sounding Edward after his maternal grandfather, Prince Edward, Duke of Kent. The family called him Bertie. His rigorous education was a challenge to the inattentive Bertie. He struggled continuously to meet his parents' lofty expectations, but could never measure up to his saintly father or his bright older sister. Despite his academic lacking, he had an abundance of charm and sociability. As a teenager, he attended the University of Edinburgh and Oxford, where, away from his parents' imposing oversight, he enjoyed education very much. At 19, he toured North America and met President James Buchanan. Bertie's confidence and good humor made for a very successful tour. He hoped to pursue an active military career based on his own merit, but his mother vetoed this plan, and instead he was given an honorary position as colonel. While attending a military training camp in Ireland, and again back at Cambridge, 19-year-old Edward had rendezvous with an actress named Nellie Clifton. But when his royal parents learned of their son's youthful indiscretion, Prince Albert, though ill, dropped everything to visit his son and reprimand him. Albert died of typhoid fever two weeks later and Victoria never forgave her son. Hanoverian monarchs have a long tradition of parents and heirs despising each other, and Victoria and Bertie were no exception. To get Bertie under control, his mother arranged a marriage to the beautiful Princess Alexandra of Denmark. But Alexandra was deaf and spoke very little. Edward preferred the company of witty mistresses and lived a playboy lifestyle, smoking cigars and guzzling champagne. 
he is thought to have had some 55 different mistresses. He tried to be as discreet as possible under the disapproving eye of his prudish mother, and never acknowledged any illegitimate children, but the private life of the Prince of Wales was often fodder for society gossip and occasionally leaked to the press. His mistresses included British actress Lily Langtree, French actress Sarah Bernhardt, Lady Jenny Churchill, American mother of the famed Prime Minister Winston Churchill, Daisy Greville, Countess of Warwick and inspiration for the popular music hall song Daisy Daisy, French opera singer Hortense Schneider, wealthy humanitarian Agnes Keeser, and British socialite Alice Keeple great-grandmother to Camilla Parker Bowles, longtime mistress and now wife of Prince Charles. The prince became embroiled in scandal when he was compelled to testify in the divorce trial of his mistress, Harriet Moncrief. Princess Alexandra was aware of her husband's many dalliances, how could she not be, but seemed to have been accepting of them. The couple lived a dazzling social life, throwing glittering balls at Marlborough House and setting the trend for the lavish country house party at Sandringham House. Edward was an arbiter of fashion, popularizing tweed, Homburg hats, Norfolk jackets, and black tie for formal occasions. He introduced the now traditional British Sunday meal of roast beef and potatoes with horseradish sauce. And all those Yorkshire puddings added a few pounds to the royal waistline, so he also popularized the tradition of men not buttoning the bottom button of their waistcoat. The queen tried to dictate to her son and daughter-in-law how they should live their life and raise their children, but the domineering queen was mostly ignored. In turn, Victoria blocked her son out of government affairs as would have been expected for an heir apparent. She disagreed with her son's liberal ideas. Despite his luxurious lifestyle, the prince was empathetic to the plight of the poor and laborers. He pushed for social reforms and was involved in public housing works. He also spoke out against racism on many occasions. But he and his mother did agree on one thing, that women should not have the vote. While Queen Victoria cloistered herself away in deep depression following her husband's death, Edward made himself popular with the people. He pioneered the royal public appearance so important to the British royal family today. In 1875, he embarked on an eight-month tour of India. His advisors remarked on Edward's habit of treating everyone the same regardless of their social standing or color. Edward's eldest son, Prince Albert Victor, was a playboy like his old man and was often embroiled in scandal. But he died at 28 during an influenza pandemic, and his younger brother George became the heir. In 1900, Edward was the victim of an attempted assassination. A 15-year-old anarchist shot at him in protest over the Second Boer War in South Africa. A year later, Queen Victoria died at 81, and Bertie became King Edward VII at the age of 59. Two days before his planned coronation, he fell ill with appendicitis. At the time, the disease was usually a death sentence, but Edward decided to undergo the cutting-edge surgery to remove the infected organ. The operation was a success, and the king popularized the life-saving procedure. He was crowned a few weeks later. King Edward improved relations with France, but didn't get along with his nephew, Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany. 
he particularly despised and often criticized Wilhelm's racism and anti-Semitism. He signed a treaty against Parliament's wishes promising that if Germany invaded France, Britain would go to war, setting the stage for World War I in 1914. In 1909, Britain faced a constitutional crisis which pitted the House of Lords and the House of Commons against each other over their imbalance of power. The King gave a speech introducing measures to limit the power of the Lords. In 1910, the 68-year-old King suffered several heart attacks, but refused to go to bed, saying, No, I shall not give in. I shall go on. I shall work to the end. He died later that night after a short but very successful reign of nine years. Alfred Alfred was the second son and spare to the throne. As a child, he was musical and played the violin. He joined the Royal Navy at the age of 14 and served as midshipman on the HMS Euryalus. While aboard, he made an official royal visit to the Cape Colony in South Africa, where he made a favorable impression on the colonists and the native chiefs and did a great deal of big game hunting. When Alfred was 18, King Otto of Greece abdicated and Alfred was elected to be the new king of Greece. But his parents stopped this honor as they had already decided that Alfred would succeed his father's childless brother as Duke of Saxe, Coburg, and Gotha. At 22, his mother appointed him Duke of Edinburgh, Earl of Ulster, and Earl of Kent, which entitled him to a seat in the House of Lords. The following year, he was promoted to captain in the Navy and given command of the HMS Galatee, on which he set sail around the world. He again visited Cape Town, then Australia, where he stayed for five months. While at a picnic in Sydney, Alfred was shot in the back by an Irish assassin. The bullet missed his spine by inches, but he recovered and set sail again two weeks later. He visited New Zealand, Japan, Hawaii, India, and Sri Lanka. At 30, Alfred returned home to settle down. He married Grand Duchess Maria Alexandrovna, daughter of Emperor Alexander II of Russia, who came with a staggering dowry of 100,000 pounds plus an annual allowance. The marriage was not a happy one. Maria was proud and haughty. She insisted that she take precedence over all of her sisters-in-law as her family was more important than theirs. The queen refused her demands. The couple traveled with Alfred's military career and spent several years in Malta. At 43, he was promoted to Admiral of the Fleet, and while nepotism may have helped him in his climb up the ranks, he was a capable commander. One officer wrote, As a commander-in-chief, he had no equal. He handled the fleet magnificently and introduced many improvements in signaling and maneuvering. When he was 49, his uncle Ernest II died and Alfred became Duke of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. He renounced his British titles and moved to Germany. He was at first unwelcome as a foreigner, but his amiability and competence eventually gained him popularity with his new people. He was very fond of music and could still be persuaded at dinner parties to play something on the violin, but one partygoer said that the noise he made was abominable. He was also a keen collector of glass and ceramic ware. His only son, Alfred, became ensnared in scandal surrounding his mistress and a possible secret marriage. The young man shot himself and died two weeks later of his injuries. His father was devastated. The following year, Alfred himself died of throat cancer. He was 55.
Arthur. Lucky number seven, Arthur was Victoria's favorite child. He had an interest in the military from an early age, and at 16, he enrolled at the Royal Military Academy. At 18, he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the army. He served in South Africa and then in Canada, where he shifted from the military duties of a soldier to the glittering social life of a prince with ease. He was wined and dined by local society and met President Ulysses S. Grant. And he won a medal for his bravery in the Battle of Eccles Hill, during which he fought off an Irish Republican invasion of Montreal. He was very popular in Canada and was invited to sit on the Iroquois Council and vote on tribe matters. At 24, he was created Duke of Connaught and Strathern and Earl of Sussex. At 29, he was married to Princess Louise, Margaret of Prussia. Arthur was devoted to his wife, with whom he had three children, but he also maintained a long-term liaison with Lady Leonie Leslie, American heiress and sister of his brother Edward's mistress, Ginny Churchill. I wonder if they ever double-dated. Arthur took military posts in Ireland, Egypt, and spent four years in India. His wife traveled with him. At 43, he was promoted to general. He wanted to become commander-in-chief of the British Army and equal his brother Alfred's rank, but he was denied this position. In 1910, Arthur traveled to South Africa to open the first parliament of the newly formed Union. The following year, he returned to Canada as a very popular governor general. He, his wife, and youngest daughter traveled the country extensively and visited the U.S. to meet President William Howard Taft. The family loved Canada and took to camping, fishing, hunting, and often hosted ice skating parties at Rideau Hall. Arthur played an active role in preparing Canadian troops before departing for Europe to fight in World War I. Princess Louise worked with the Red Cross during the war. In 1916, the family returned to Britain and Arthur went back to military service and royal engagements. Princess Louise died during the influenza pandemic in 1917 and was the first member of the royal family to be cremated, a new fashion at the time. In 1921, Arthur traveled to India to open the new Central Legislative Assembly. He died in 1942 at the age of 91 years, 8 months, and 15 days, the exact same age to the day as his sister, Louise. Leopold from an early age, Leopold showed great intellectual promise. Poet Alfred Lord Tennyson said that he had a very thoughtful mind and high aims. He suffered physical weakness, bruising, clumsiness, and seizures. It was soon realized that Leopold had hemophilia and epilepsy. Doctors inaccurately blamed the queen's use of chloroform during his delivery. At 19, he attended Oxford University. There he studied law, became a Freemason, and president of the chess club. In his 20s, he traveled Europe, Canada, and the United States. As his disabilities prevented him from serving in the military, he instead became a patron of humanities and sponsored the London Chess Tournament. He acted as his mother's unofficial secretary, often bridging the gap between the aging queen and the government of the day. He requested a regal post to Canada, but much to his disappointment, his mother refused, preferring to keep him close. She instead created him Duke of Albany. Stifled by his mother, Leopold saw marriage as a way to escape her overbearing. 
He was friends with Alice Liddell, for whom Lewis Carroll wrote Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. He also courted his second cousin, Princess Frederica of Hanover, but instead the pair became lifelong friends. He pursued marriages with a number of noble ladies, but enough was known about genetics at this point that none of them were interested in risking hemophilia in their children, despite his royal blood. His mother wasn't much help to Leopold's romantic aspirations either, as she objected to any lady she felt to be unworthy of a British prince. The queen finally suggested Princess Helena Frederica of Valdeck Piermont, and the couple were wed. A year later, Helena gave birth to a daughter, Alice. During her second pregnancy, Leopold's health worsened, and his doctors ordered him to a warmer climate to relieve his severe joint pain. Helena was unable to accompany her husband, but encouraged him to go. While recuperating in Caen, France, he slipped and fell, hitting his head. He died the next morning of a cerebral hemorrhage. He was 30 years old. His son, Charles Edward, was born four months later. In an upcoming episode, we'll learn about Queen Victoria's 42 grandchildren. Among their ranks were a king, an emperor, six queens, two married couples, an embarrassing number of Nazis, and many captivating characters. Today, of the approximately 28 monarchies that still survive in the world, five are occupied by descendants of Queen Victoria. A very special thank you goes to my patron, Dakota Pullis. Thank you so much for supporting my work. If you enjoyed this video, please consider supporting me on Patreon and help me make more fascinating videos. A link to my Patreon is in the description. Thank you for watching. Queen Victoria's Nine Children The Daughters Queen Victoria gave birth to nine children in 17 years, but she wasn't exactly the world's greatest mother. She despised pregnancy and didn't like babies, calling them frog-like. The queen had had a cold and difficult relationship with her own overbearing mother and in turn tried to control her daughters and held them up to impossible standards. Victoria recognized that her traditionally female education had ill-prepared her for the demands of government affairs. So the royal couple decided that all of their offspring, male and female, would receive a well-rounded education. Victoria's older daughters were married to important future monarchs and scaled the peaks of European politics. But when her beloved husband Albert died at 42, Victoria fell into an intense depression and used her younger daughters as an emotional crutch, selfishly stunting their lives and freedom. Nonetheless, they all lived compelling lives. An outspoken advocate for progress, a dedicated nurse, a promoter of public good, a sculptor and suffragette, and a devoted daughter. Here are the stories of Queen Victoria's five fascinating daughters. Victoria. Upon the birth of her first child, the queen remarked, Never mind, next time it will be a prince. The queen had a loving but slightly icy relationship with her namesake. Vicky idolized her father, who inspired her liberal views. He in turn doted on his precocious eldest child. Vicky was always hungry for knowledge and learned several languages, science, and literature. 
1851, the Queen invited her cousin Prince Wilhelm of Prussia and his family to London for the Great Exhibition. 11-year-old Vicky was encouraged to escort the prince's son Frederick around the exhibition. Frederick was impressed with Vicky's perfect German compared to his few words of English, as well as the close family life of the British royals compared to his own strict and formal family. Four years later, the prince visited the British royals at Balmoral Castle, and he and Vicky hit it off again. Frederick asked Albert and Victoria for permission to marry their daughter, and they enthusiastically agreed. The match was not popular in either's home country, as Prussia was allied with Russia, Britain's arch-rival. When Vicky was 17, she wed Frederick in London and then moved to Berlin. She found life there difficult, and the Prussian court rigidly formal. She was required to attend constant tedious duties and receptions. Her correspondence home was no consolation as her mother was demanding and critical of her every move. Vicky gave birth to her first child, Wilhelm, in a difficult delivery that nearly cost the lives of both mother and child and left Wilhelm with a damaged arm. In 1861, Prince Albert died suddenly of typhoid fever and Vicky was grief-stricken. Shortly afterward, Frederick's father, now King Wilhelm II, dissolved Parliament and appointed Otto von Bismarck as Prime Minister. Liberal Vicky and Frederick objected to the new conservative regime, so Bismarck turned the king and the people against them. He accused Vicky of conspiring with the British government against Prussia. When Prussia went to war with Denmark, Vicky's position was further damaged as her brother Edward had just married Alexandra of Denmark. Vicky supported Prussian troops and promoted their medical care a la Florence Nightingale, but these efforts were ignored by the press who preferred to paint her as the enemy of the people. The couple's fourth son, Sigismund, died of meningitis just short of his second birthday, and Vicky was heartbroken. Queen Victoria, famous for her decades of mourning for Prince Albert, offered no sympathy, telling her daughter that the death of a child was much less severe than the loss of a husband. Vicky had four more babies, totaling eight, and while the older children had been raised by governesses, she raised the younger ones herself. In 1871, the princes of the many German states proclaimed Wilhelm I emperor of a united Germany. The crown prince and princess continued to speak out about their liberal beliefs. They opposed increasing anti-Semitism in Germany and made public appearances in synagogues. Vicky also worked to promote education for women. The couple's eldest son, raised under the influence of a puritanical tutor, grew to despise his parents and emulate the conservative beliefs of his grandfather and namesake. In 1887, the 90-year-old king's health began to fail, and Vicky and Frederick thought they might finally get a chance to bring Germany into a more enlightened age. But Frederick was struck with laryngeal cancer and lost the power of speech. Wilhelm I died, and Frederick and Victoria were emperor and empress. But Frederick, gravely ill, had time only to make a few symbolic political changes before succumbing to cancer after just 99 days on the throne. Their son, now Wilhelm II, had his parents' rooms searched for incriminating documents and fired his father's advisors. He kicked his mother out of her home in Berlin and wanted her to leave the country, but instead she built a castle named Friedrichshof in honor of her late husband, where she lived with her younger daughters. 
As her daughters moved away for their own royal marriages and Wilhelm II continued to block his mother from political and social life, Vicky became increasingly isolated. She died of breast cancer at the age of 60, just a few months after the death of her mother. Alice. On the birth of Victoria's second daughter, the Privy Council sent messages of congratulations and condolence. Obviously, another son was hoped for. From an early age, Alice showed an interest in the lives of common people. She often escaped her governess to visit families living on the estate and to sit in the public pews at chapel. During the Crimean War, 11-year-old Alice visited wounded soldiers with her mother and was deeply moved. She was the most sensitive and compassionate of her siblings. She formed close bonds with her brothers and sisters, particularly Vicky and Edward. Teenage Alice was the family caregiver and nursed her ailing grandmother, Victoria, Duchess of Kent, through her final months of life, then turned around and lent emotional support to her grieving mother. Prince Albert wrote of her, Dear good Alice was full of intense tenderness and affection. At 17, a search began for an eligible husband. The queen expressed a desire that her children marry for love, but only to a short list of candidates of which she approved. Prince Louis of Hesse, a minor German royal, was suggested by Vicky, and the prince was invited to London to watch the Ascot races. He and Alice got on well, and upon departing, he asked if he could take a picture of her with him. The couple were engaged the following May. In December, Prince Albert died of typhoid fever, and Alice was by his side at the end. She was a rock to her devastated mother. As the queen fell into a deep depression and shut herself away, Alice acted as her unofficial secretary and was the representative of the monarchy in all royal business for six months. Alice was keen to go ahead with the marriage to Louis, though her mother was morose at the thought of losing her favorite child and emotional crutch. A sparse and dreary wedding went ahead in the dining room of Osborne House. Alice wore a simple white dress and a wreath of orange blossoms and myrtle, but her mother required her to change back into black immediately following the ceremony. The queen wept through the service and remarked that it was more like a funeral than a wedding. Despite the mother of the bride's dramatics, Alice and Louis were elated to be together and in their own home, but tried not to act too happy when the queen came to visit. After the honeymoon, Alice traveled with her new husband to his home in Darmstadt. There she was greeted by cheering crowds. The couple moved into a modest house in town and Queen Victoria was shocked that a princess of Great Britain was not granted a grand palace. But Alice was very happy there. In 1863, she traveled home for the wedding of her brother, the Prince of Wales. While staying with her mother, she gave birth to her first child, Victoria Alberta. Alice decided to breastfeed, which disgusted the queen, who called her daughter a cow. Alice further outraged her conservative mother by her friendship with theologian David Friedrich Strauss, with whom she shared atheistic views. He even dedicated a book to her. In 1866, Hess sided with Austria, putting Alice on the opposing side of her sister Vicky in the Austro-Prussian War. Alice, heavily pregnant, sent her two daughters to her mother in England for safekeeping and kissed her husband goodbye as he went off to war. She dedicated herself to nursing the troops and spent tireless hours in hospitals. She was advised on the benefits of cleanliness in medicine by her good friend, Florence Nightingale. At the war's conclusion, Hess surrendered to Prussia and was forced to pay a heavy indemnity. Alice wrote to Vicky, 
pleading for the welfare of her adopted country, but she was unable to help on this count, though she was able to convince her father-in-law to allow Alice's uncle to keep his throne as Grand Duke of Hesse. Tragedy struck Alice when her youngest son, Friedrich, called Fritti, died after falling from a window. He survived the fall, but he suffered from hemophilia and died later from internal bleeding. She wrote to her mother of her deep sorrow, but the queen, as usual, was dismissive. In 1877, both Louis's father and uncle died, making him and Alice Grand Duke and Duchess of Hesse. Alice found her new royal duties to be overwhelming and strenuous. The following year, the family fell ill with diphtheria, and the youngest child, four-year-old Maria, died. A month later, the family was recovering when Alice, who had nursed them all without showing symptoms, suddenly became seriously ill. On the anniversary of her father's death, she died. Her last words were, Dear Papa. She was 35 and the first of Queen Victoria's children to die. Helena. Helena was born after the Queen's most difficult delivery. Prince Albert wrote that his third daughter came into the world quite blue, but she was quite well now. The family called her by the German nickname Helenchen, later shortened to Lynchen. She was a lively and outspoken child. When teased by an older brother, she punched him in the nose. She excelled at drawing and piano and shared her father's interest in science and technology. At 15, she developed a romantic attachment to her father's German librarian, Karl Ruland. The pair kept their affair a secret and exchanged many romantic letters, though it is not clear how far the relationship went physically. When her beloved father died, Helena was nearly as distraught as her mother. She could not go long without bursting into tears. When Alice left her mourning mother to be married, Victoria and Helena became partners in grief and misery. Victoria was loath to lose another daughter and companion to marriage, so she refused to speak of arrangements for Helena. When Victoria discovered Helena's relationship with Karl Ruland, she banished him back to Germany and felt that she had no choice but to arrange nuptials with a suitable bachelor. The queen insisted that Helena's groom be willing to live in Britain so that she could remain close. Prince Christian of Schleswig-Holstein was eventually settled on. As a younger son of a duke, he had no foreign commitments and could remain in England. He was 15 years older than Helena, and when he was invited to Britain, he thought that it was so the widowed queen could inspect him as a possible second husband for herself. As Schleswig and Holstein were territories fought over between Russia and Denmark, Victoria's older children were enraged by the match. Alice accused her mother of sacrificing Helena's happiness for her own convenience. Alexandra, Princess of Wales, in particular shunned Christian, angering the Queen. Despite the family riff, Helena liked Christian very much and was determined to marry him. The couple were devoted to each other and led a happy, quiet life. Christian enjoyed improving the many parklands owned by the royal family and was named Ranger of Windsor Park. They had six children, though their fifth son died at eight days old and their sixth was stillborn. The queen commissioned this statue to honor her five grandchildren who died in childhood. Helena's health was never robust, and she was a hypochondriac to boot. 
She was a heavy user of opium and laudanum, but she maintained a busy schedule of royal engagements and was founding president of the Royal School of Needlework. Like her older sister, she was deeply interested in nursing and was a founder of the British Red Cross. In 1900, Helena's oldest son was killed in action during the Boer Wars in South Africa. The following year, her mother died. King Edward's wife, now Queen Alexandra, was not a fan of her sisters-in-law, Helena in particular, and cut her out of most royal affairs. In 1916, Helena and Christian celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, and he died the following year. Helena lived another six years, dying in 1923 at the age of 77. In the next episode, we'll meet Victoria's two youngest daughters, Louise, the rebel of the family who studied sculpture and was a suffragette, and Beatrice, who was utterly devoted to her mother and also became a young widow. A very special thank you goes to my patron, Kendra Holiday. Thank you so much for supporting my work. If you enjoyed this video, please consider supporting me on Patreon and help me make more fascinating videos. A link to my Patreon is in the description. Thank you for watching. Louise. For the birth of her sixth child, the queen chose to use chloroform to diminish the pain, popularizing the use of anesthesia during childbirth. Louise was bright and inquisitive, earning the nickname Little Miss Y. She showed artistic talent from an early age and was allowed to study sculpture at the Royal College of Art. Louise was 13 when her father died, and the sudden plunge into perpetual mourning stifled the teenager. She was bored and often argued with her mother. At 17, she requested that the ballroom be open for her debutante presentation as it had been for her eldest sister, but her mother refused. Once her sisters left to be married, Louise filled the position of private secretary and companion to her depressed mother. Fellow art students were amazed that rather than a life of luxury, the princess left the studio each day to attend to her night job of writing political correspondence. Louise was an outspoken feminist and liberal with sympathies for the poor, even more issues on which she disagreed with her mother. At 18, Louise began an affair with her younger brother's tutor, Reverend Robinson Duckworth. Four years later, the queen discovered the affair, dismissed Duckworth, and began looking for a suitable husband for Louise. She was considered the most beautiful of Victoria's daughters, but rumors of her impurity marred her marriage prospects. Several foreign princes were put forth, but Louise rejected them all and announced that she wished to marry John Campbell, Marquess of Lorne, and heir to the Duke of Argyle. No marriage between a monarch's daughter and a subject had been recognized since the Tudor era, and Louise's siblings, particularly Edward, objected. But the queen, wary of European political divisions playing out in her own family, supported the match and said it would bring much-needed new blood into the inbred family. The union was also a brilliant PR move with the British people, a la Will and Kate. Nearly a decade after Albert's death, the Queen lifted the dour cloud that had hung over the weddings of Alice and Helena and allowed the couple to be wed at Windsor Castle. Louise wore a lace veil she designed herself, and the couple were greeted by a massive cheering crowd. But the marriage was not as blissful as Louise had hoped. The couple had no children, and rumors circulated of Lorne's homosexual lovers. Seven years in, Lorne was appointed Governor-General of Canada, and the couple moved to Ottawa. The Canadian press painted them as haughty royals, an assumption the couple felt unfair as they were quite relaxed on social protocol. 
They threw open house balls where anyone was welcome to attend, but it outraged prominent Canadians to dance next to common people, so it seemed they couldn't win. Louise treated her homesickness by becoming involved in the arts and in winter sports like skating and sleighing. The couple were seriously injured when a horse panicked, dragging their overturned sled 400 yards. Louise suffered a severe concussion. She spent the winter recovering in Bermuda, where she mingled with Black Islanders and reveled in not being recognized. Louise and Lorne returned to Britain in 1885, but their relationship had further deteriorated and they often lived apart. Louise also had a strained relationship with her sisters, Helena and Beatrice. Louise, the most beautiful sister, had grown up pitying the other two and was now terribly jealous of their happy marriages. She wrote that Beatrice's handsome husband would have been better suited to herself. There were rumors that Louise had affairs with her mother's secretary, Arthur Big, artist Edwin Lutyens, her equerry, Colonel William Probert, and sculptor Joseph Edgar Boom, who died while the princess was visiting him in his studio, supposedly mid-coitus. Louise often shunned the royal life and enjoyed traveling under the alias Mrs. Campbell. She became involved in the suffrage movement and met with Elizabeth Garrett, the first British woman physician. This outraged the queen, who thought women had no right to the vote or professions. Following their mother's death, she became closer to her brother, King Edward VII, with whom she shared most of her liberal views. Louise continued to practice sculpture and created this statue of her mother, which sits in front of Kensington Palace. She was devoted to physical fitness and when criticized would often retort, never mind, I'll outlive you all. In 1905, the province of Alberta, Canada was named after Princess Louise Caroline Alberta. In the province, there is a Lake Louise and Mount Alberta. In 1911, Lorne, now Duke of Argyle, became senile and she nursed him devotedly until his death in 1914. Louise spent her twilight years at Kensington Palace and was affectionately called Auntie Palace by the future Elizabeth II. She died in 1939 at the age of 91 while wearing the wedding veil she had donned 70 years earlier. Beatrice, the baby of the family, was doted on. Victoria, who disliked infants, enjoyed giving her youngest child baths and wrote that Beatrice was a pretty, plump, and flourishing child with fine, large blue eyes, pretty little mouth, and very fine skin. Prince Albert was impressed with her precociousness and wrote that she was the most amusing baby we have had. Her eldest sister, 17-year-old Victoria, was just about to be married when Beatrice was born and adored her younger sibling. On the night that Prince Albert died, Victoria crawled into bed with Beatrice and cuddled her. As she grew and her sisters left one by one with their husbands, the mourning queen leaned increasingly on her youngest child for emotional support. She served as the queen's secretary for many years, and unlike her siblings, she liked and supported her mother's relationship with her Scottish servant, John Brown. 14-year-old Beatrice, undoubtedly echoing her mother's desperate hopes, remarked, I don't like weddings at all. I shall never be married. I shall stay with my mother. In 1870, Emperor Napoleon III of France was defeated in the Franco-Prussian War and moved his family to Britain. Victoria became friends with his wife, Empress Eugenie. In her early 20s, Beatrice became romantically attached to the emperor's son, Louis Napoleon, and it was announced that the couple would be wed. But Louis was killed in the Anglo-Zulu War and Beatrice was heartbroken. 
Following the death of her elder sister Alice, the Prince of Wales suggested that Beatrice marry Alice's widower, Louis, Grand Duke of Hesse, and raise Alice's young children in England. But at that time, it was illegal for a person to marry their deceased sibling's spouse, see Catherine of Aragon. A bill was put to Parliament to change the law, but was voted down on religious grounds, and the Queen was relieved to keep her youngest daughter by her side. Prince Louis of Battenberg pursued Beatrice, who was interested, but the queen invited him to dinner and sat between the young people. She instructed Beatrice to ignore Louis throughout the dinner, and the prince went away rejected. He instead married Alice's daughter, Victoria, and while attending the wedding in Germany, Beatrice met the love of her life, Louis's brother, Prince Henry. When she told her mother of her love and plans to wed, Victoria was horrified, and though they lived side by side, she gave her daughter the silent treatment for seven months, communicating only by note. Eventually, her older children convinced the queen that their father Albert would have wanted Beatrice to be happily married, so she relented under the condition that Henry renounce his foreign obligations and move to England. Beatrice wore her mother's wedding veil, the queen walked her youngest child down the aisle and managed to keep her composure through the service, but burst into tears the moment the happy couple departed on their honeymoon. After a short holiday, the newlyweds returned to fulfill their promise of living by the queen's side. They had a happy union and seemed to fall more and more in love as the years went on. But Henry often felt stifled by his mother-in-law and her constant need for companionship. On one occasion, he went to Corsica with his brother, and the queen sent a warship to bring him back home. To give him an occupation, Victoria appointed Henry governor of the Isle of Wight. After 11 years of marriage, Henry grew bored of the dour life at court and begged the queen to allow him to join the British army in the Anglo-Ashanti War in West Africa. She relented, but had grave misgivings about the adventure. And sure enough, Henry contracted malaria and died in Africa at the age of 37. Beatrice now shared her mother's widowhood, and the pair grew even closer in their grief. Beatrice's preoccupation with her mother often left her four children feeling neglected, and they acted up at school. When Victoria died, her youngest child's life was overturned. She wrote, I, who have hardly ever been separated from my dear mother, can hardly realize what life will be like without her, who was the center of everything. Her place at court was greatly diminished as she did not get along with her brother, now King Edward VII. Per her mother's request, Beatrice spent the next 30 years transcribing the Queen's journals. She edited out so much that they were reduced by two-thirds, and she destroyed the originals, so much of Queen Victoria's inner thoughts have been lost. Beatrice spent most of her time at her home on the Isle of Wight, where she had been named governor after her husband's death. She saw her daughter become queen of Spain, and two of her sons die young, Maurice in the First World War and Leopold after complications of hemophilia. Beatrice lived to see three more kings crowned and was the last living of Queen Victoria's children. She died in 1944 at the age of 87. In the next episode, we'll learn about the lives of Queen Victoria's four sons, her eldest destined to become the king of the British Empire at the height of its power, two who traveled the world representing Britain, and the youngest who was held back by the royal disease, hemophilia. A very special thank you goes to my patron, Kendra Holiday. Thank you so much for supporting my work. 
If you enjoyed this video, please consider supporting me on Patreon and help me make more fascinating videos. A link to my Patreon is in the description. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queen Bee, The Life of Queen Victoria. Remember, if you would like to support this podcast, you can look in the show description notes to find a link. Thank you and have a great day.